everybody. This is B, And this is Leslie. And you're listening to Get Shit Faced, a podcast where two friends across the country from each other get together over drinks and talk about our favorite show, Shit's Creek. This week, we're recapping the third episode of the sixth season, The Job Interview. In this episode, Alexis and Ted struggle to connect on their anniversary, and she buys herself a pet turtle in an attempt to create a shared experience with him. Losing it, however, seems like a bad sign. But Twyla reassures her they're just going through a rough patch, and ultimately things turn out okay when Ted surprises her with a virtual dinner date at the cafe. Meanwhile, Stevie and David compete to see who can get a flight attendant job at Larry Air, a challenge that Stevie wins, while Moira, Johnny, Roland, and Jocelyn try to get Bob to invest in the business. Bob, it turns out, is going through a bit of a rough patch of his own, and is not as flush as he seems. But Roland and Jocelyn save the day by taking out a second mortgage to become business partners in the new motel. There's a lot happening in this episode. And so when we were thinking about the drink that we were going to drink this week, we had a few options. Um, But ultimately, we decided that since Stevie will be flying the friendly skies, uh, we felt an ode to her new job was in order for this week's drink. But no, we are not offering complimentary cocktails on this podcast. You'll have to make your own, just like Larry Air. And so this week's cocktail is the paper airplane it's a bon appetit recipe uh, and they say that it is a simple to make easy to drink drink and i would have to agree with them (laughs) i do it's very easy to drink a little too easy to drink um (laughs) this drink calls for you to combine amaro aperol bourbon and lemon juice into a cocktail shaker and shake until chilled it's very fancy but very little work and I actually used lime juice in mine because I had some sweetened lime juice. And it is very tasty. It's also very strong. And uh, we'll see how that turns out in this podcast. <laughs> it is very strong. And maybe sometimes you have a little extra, you know, like the bottom of the Aperol bottle. And you're like, I'm just going to pour a little extra in. So we'll really see how how I'm doing by the end of this episode. <laughs> we might be a little sloppy by the end. As we always are. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, let's dive straight into this episode. And let's start by talking about Alexis and Ted. Uh, I think we have to start with the cold open, which is a really great callback to the season three premiere opening night and the cold open of that episode, where we had David getting caught in his room with Jake by pretty much his entire family. And now it's Alexis's turn for that to happen. Uh, as she's Skyping with Ted here, and then David and Johnny and Moira all join them in the room. (laughs) I loved that David, I feel like David was just super excited that it was not him this time. (laughs) (laughs) He is just living for this being, he's like telling everybody what happened, not even hiding it. He's like, this is your turn. He is. He's so gleeful about it, especially that moment when he tells Johnny explicitly what Ted and Alexis were about to do. Like, he's just being such a brother in that moment, getting payback for the previous time. Uh, and it's it's delightful. It is. It's really fun. I love it's So it's different, but it's like such a callback to that episode. And they all like Johnny and Moira are still... <laughs> So clueless, but David is, David is just digging in, which is really funny because like poor Alexis didn't even catch him the first time. She was the last person to walk in the room, but he is he is loving it. He is. We learn that it's Alexis and Ted's anniversary in that cold open as well. That that's kind of why she's 
trying to make this happen. And um, I almost had a moment, Leslie, where we were going to have a timeline issue. (laughs) (laughs) But then Ted... Ted dug us out of that hole because I was like, oh, she hasn't seen him in eight days. It's been longer than eight days, surely. But it was that Ted was on a research trip into the wilds of the Galapagos. And so that's why she hasn't seen him for eight days. And he's just been out there bench pressing tortoises. And finding new flies named Alexis. (laughs) Finding new flies that mate with themselves. Um, So he is just living his best life out there and Alexis is kind of trying to reconnect with him here at home. And so then, of course, she goes out and does what any sensible person would do and buys a turtle. Buys a turtle based on long-distance relationships blogs, which, you know, that's clearly what you should do. I know that when I don't know something, I just go out and look at blogs. So I highly recommend that you do that. I don't know if I recommend going out and buying a turtle, though. I mean, I don't think Moira or Twyla or anyone else would recommend it either. Um, but it's very cute. It's cute that she she wants to to do something that Ted is invested in, and she's come a very long way from you remember way back when when Ted gave her a book about how to love things other than yourself because she didn't really right. like pets at all. Uh, so now she's going out and actively buying a pet, specifically one that Ted would like more than herself, right. um, as a way to try to connect with him. And I think that's really sweet. It's really sweet. Um, She may have picked the wrong animal because, as they do say in the episode, it's like walking a chicken cutlet on a leash because <laughs> turtles have salmonella. <laughs> what a perfect line. It's a perfect line. And if you... I love it. Like, if you know what they're talking about, it's funny on a whole different level, but it's also just funny. Um, yes. But uh, she just wants to have those shared experiences with Ted. And she's not just, like, letting him go off and, like do this whole thing without her. She wants to connect. And I love that about Alexis, that she's really diving into this relationship and not being, it's not just a superficial thing. You can see that she really cares and wants to make it work. And that's hard when you're doing long distance. I mean, especially when you thought you were going to be there with him and now you're not like having to to find ways to, to go the extra mile to make that connection in the meantime. And it's nice that she's putting in that effort. Yeah. And Ted obviously is too. Ted is too, as we'll see in the later parts of this episode. But um, I do love that in true Alexis fashion, the turtle does not go as planned. (laughs) I mean, if you're going to carry an animal around in your handbag, a turtle probably isn't the best option. (laughs) I love the visual of Alexis carrying a turtle in a handbag. I want to know what kind of handbag it was. Um, Did she just stuff it in her normal purse? Or even better, did she carry that tank around with her as a fashion accessory? <laughs> I have questions. I feel like the tank would have been a little noticeable. She must have put it in her purse. But, like, did she just put it in there as it is? Did she wrap it up in something? Right. I, I have a lot of questions. So many questions. And so does Twyla. <laughs> it's potentially on the loose in the cafe. It's not just, like, funny. To, like, Twyla is very, very concerned about the health and safety of this moderately bad cafe (laughs) yes yeah we've definitely seen that as a trend from her right when when well david already said there was a salmonella outbreak at the cafe and now she doesn't want it to actually be true (laughs) right this is not something she wants to happen um and so i love that little 
interplay between her and Alexis where on one level it's a discussion of Alexis missing Ted and she (laughs) kind of confuses Twyla about whether it's the turtle or actual Ted that she's talking about. As is going to happen when you name your turtle after your boyfriend. <laughs> they both seem to have this problem. Um, but Twilight is also very concerned about what's happening in the cafe that day. But also being very sweet and helpful to Alexis about her relationship with Ted and them potentially coming closer um, around uh, the separation between them. Yeah, and I love that Twilight is always such a solid source of support for Alexis. There's such a nice friendship between them at this point. And I like that you can see how that's grown throughout the seasons and the little steps that they've taken to get closer and closer. And and you get that little moment right here at the end as Alexis is walking out of the scene where she says, love you. And that's really, really cute. Like that's so far from where they were in season one. Right. Where Alexis was off stealing her boyfriend. Um, And so they kind of just become this really cute friendship and I still love this. I love that Twilight is a solid presence as she also tells you about her very unstable yes. childhood. She's always such a source of positivity in spite of all this weirdness that she seems to have been through. Including someone's turtle dove being eaten by a snake. Is it her mother's boyfriend? I think so, yeah. Who is a Satanist? Everybody always talks about an Alexis spinoff, but I really want a Twyla growing up spinoff. A Twyla growing up spinoff would be fascinating. So fascinating. And then, of course, she's integral to the ending of the arc with Ted and Alexis in this episode, in that she helps Ted orchestrate this dinner date for Alexis. Yeah, and she kind of goes that extra mile of, like, getting everything ready. And even, like, Alexis is like, oh, you can leave. And she's like, nope, gotta gotta serve you dinner. So she is there to, like, kind of make this happen for these two. Because I think Twyla, like, really cares about everyone in the town and making sure that everyone's happy. And, like, she just always is doing those kinds of things for, like, Alexis or Johnny or pretty much anyone. Well, when you think about it, there are so many of these important moments that have happened throughout the series that have taken place at the cafe. And when you think back to the first episode, they have such a distaste for this place. And the cafe sort of embodies everything that they dislike about the town. It's a little tacky, a little worn, a little dirty. Um, But there's just such charm in it at the end of the day. And so all these big moments you've got Twyla helping to orchestrate a lot of them um, just by being there at the cafe. So like when David and Patrick have their dance at the end and meet the parents or the fact that their first date was there. And now we've got Alexis and Ted having this date there too. And so Twyla's helped spawn some really big moments on the show in that sense and has made the cafe an important part of the Rose family history. Right. It's definitely one of the center, the little touch points of the town that makes it home in a way you don't really think about when you're just watching the show but if you really think about it like it is a pivotal part of why they they have grown to love this town so another plot line we've got happening this episode is stevie and david and their adventures at larry air we get stevie saying that she has an emergency and david in his davidy way getting there as fast as he can so he, she needs help with 
picking out an outfit for her interview. And in the process, she issues him this challenge to come with her to the interview and see which one of them will be hired. We know that David is very competitive. If you think back to the games night that they have back in season one, he is very particular about how these things go and is very competitive and very much wants to win and tells Stevie in that same episode that they're too similar for her not to be into this sort of thing. Um, and she does come back at the end and say, you're right, you know, I'm too competitive to to lose at this. And so you kind of have a callback to that here with this challenge being issued uh, between them and trying to see how they're going to battle it out to win. Not that David needs a job. <laughs> what would have happened if he got the job? He'd just been like, no, but you should hire my friend. He accidentally becomes a flight attendant. I do think also it plays to his competitiveness and it also plays to David's belief in his good taste. Yes. And what he believes is correct. Um, And so we're just playing to all of David's buttons in this episode. Yeah. Well, and I think when we get to the end there and, and we get David, you know, being forced to admit that perhaps Stevie's more qualified than he is and he's acting maybe a little bratty about it. Um, I think one of the layers that really plays into that, in addition to his competitiveness and not wanting to lose and the fact that he thinks he has good taste and all of that, is that he wants to be qualified for something. He Think about the fact that when he went to open the store, you've got this scene with Moira where she tells him basically that he doesn't have any skills because of the fact that they've always just bought his success. Um... And so he just has this inherent need to prove himself, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And the store obviously is a success, but he also has Patrick there with him. And so it's still a little different. It's not something he's done on his own by virtue of his own qualifications. And so I think that there is part of him that just really wants to be the one that's picked here on his own merits. Right. I also think it's interesting to like think about David in... Um, season one when he went to get the job at the grocery store versus David in this episode because it kind of calls back to that scene because um, Johnny was talking about how you need to dress for the job and you're not dressed correctly and you don't have any qualifications but like David didn't want that he was like I don't want this job or I just want this job because I want eye cream right Um, and that David versus this David who's like really out to prove himself to the point he's wearing Patrick's clothes to dress for the job you want um, and how far he's come, even though we kind of see David being a little bratty, being a little bit more of that like sassy David um, from earlier seasons. A lot of that is because he wants to prove himself in a way he didn't want to prove himself in the first season at all. And I think there's also the added layer of he doesn't really want to see you leave either. We saw that in the first episode of this season with Alexis leaving that he you know, has his own particular way of kind of pushing back against that. And I think that some of that definitely has to come to play here too, with the fact that now, not only is his sister supposed to be leaving him, but now his best friend is thinking about leaving as well. And they never quite make it to that conversation. He sort of hints at it when he asks her, you know, does this mean you're officially leaving the motel? Um, And she says she doesn't know yet. And so I think we're leading towards a conversation down the road about, him missing her and what it would mean for her to leave and that sort of thing. I felt 
when watching that end where he basically he's getting a little hysterical like yeah you know there's like this undercurrent to that i think if you watch it on the surface he's like just being david and he's just being bratty but there is things unsaid i think in that part of the episode where he's not saying i don't want you to leave um and we'll see if that plays out i think it's going to play out in the later episodes um but if you look at it from that lens i think his actions make a lot more sense that moment with the i don't care where he's just so over the top and it's funny the way that he says it but if you think about it more in the terms of him reacting to stevie leaving and stevie getting the job it's the sarcasm of it then like no of course i don't care about the fact that you're going to leave me behind um it's kind of sad yeah he's sad He's working on his expressing his feelings. Um, and, and he did better with it in this episode. I mean, we had the in the first episode where they had to push him to apologize to Alexis and he never quite actually says, I'm sorry. And here Stevie forces him to admit that she's better qualified. And he it takes him a couple tries, but he says it and, and he actively admits it in a way he didn't even just two episodes ago with Alexis and being sorry there. And so... Some of that is probably the difference in the nature between his relationship with Stevie and his relationship with Alexis. Um, but also, yeah, like he's, he's pushing himself a little to, to say what he needs to say. He's not quite there, but he's getting there. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see where they go with this. Both with Stevie. Like, I think like Stevie's part of it is kind of like, oh, we're going going to get this job but like she's going on a whole journey and like out seeing the world um even like really seeing the world if she's going to become a flight attendant and so i'm interested to see where stevie goes when she's not behind the desk and what she becomes and if she wants to continue that then we've got the third plot line of this episode which is johnny and roland trying to secure the money to buy the new motel without Stevie's help. And we get this scene at the bank where they're trying to apply for a loan. Um, And I thought what was actually really interesting about this was it really struck me as a reminder of the fact that Johnny doesn't actually own a real stake in the Rosebud Motel. I don't necessarily know how that's going to play out in the season, if it's going to come back around, but I thought it was an interesting reminder just that he is running things. And we know from their conversations that he and Stevie have agreements that he's going to get a portion of the profits and all of that, but he doesn't actually own any of it. And so he doesn't really have any collateral here with which to bargain uh, in order to get the loan. Yeah. That was interesting to me. Just like, if we're thinking about real world of like, maybe you should talk to her about that. Um, Right. But I think it helps with the the plot of this episode, but like how that works down the line, is that going to come back up that, you know, he doesn't own a stake in the motel and what that means for him. In some ways that would make it easier for them to leave the town. Right. But it also, you know, is that something that Stevie chooses to sell him part of it at some point? Or now we've got Roland and Jocelyn buying in later in this episode. So do they each own different branches of the overall motel empire? I guess we'll see. (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting, too, like, if Stevie decides, like, this isn't for me, like, Stevie, you still own the motel. (laughs) What does that mean? You can't just walk away. Um, Right. (laughs) So uh, it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Or if it's just TV magic and, like, they'll address it 
off screen in some way. Right. That, of course, leads us to them trying to figure out where else to get the money. And it just so happens for them to look over and there's Bob in his glorious all leather suit (laughs) sitting at the bar at the cafe and they think yes this man clearly has a lot of money to spare we're going to talk about the the leather outfit later in the episode but i love how they're just like they look over and they see just leather and they're like yes dollar signs (laughs) yes i mean roland does say that he saw the the finances at the garage recently so i guess that's part of it but still the leather suit as the as the signifier of wealth is really funny (laughs) i wonder if johnny has ever owned an all leather suit in that case yes i also was interested in like how like roland had seen the financials the garage is doing great but thinking back to earlier seasons and like how Bob is never at the garage. I'm like, how is he making money? Is he got like a side hustle in there? It's all from their poker games. He's just been taking them to the cleaners. Or his like renting out the offices. Like none of it is actually from fixing cars. No, no. (laughs) And then of course we find out that the reason Bob is dressed this way is because he was trying to hold on to Gwen, who is interested in bad boys, and has, (laughs) irony of ironies, run off with their pastor. (laughs) Parson Jim. I love he's a parson. (laughs) I was so sad for Bob in this scene. I, like, I don't often, Bob is funny. (laughs) I don't often find myself being sympathetic toward Bob. But I was sad for him here. This has been a long time coming, right? We've had lots of hints that Gwen has been up to some things some extramarital things. Um, She's locked him out of the house. She's gone to see friends on the internet. She has been electrocuted wearing a rubber dress. (laughs) Um, Presumably while Bob is at work. It was during the middle of the day, right? And so, yeah, like there's been some hints for a long time coming that that something was going on with Gwen. uh, And we get kind of the, the, the climax of that arc here. And poor Bob, like he's just all along he's been kind of like either unaware or just gone along with what she's out there doing right. with her life. Uh God bless Gwen. Um in her rubber suit. But <laughs> I've always just been like either he's clueless or he's okay with it. Maybe Bob's okay with it. And clearly either he's never been okay with it or Parson Jim was the tip of the iceberg that just set them off (laughs) down a marital slope. And now here he is and they're trying to take the house from him. Like, that's, that's really sad. It's really sad and he's just still trying to win Gwen back with his leather outfit. (laughs) I don't think it's going very well, unfortunately. (laughs) No, and then he's having to try to get it off. Uh, after two cups of coffee. <laughs> Knock on wood. <laughs> Knock on wood. Uh, and so it's just like a very fun callback to the rest of the seasons. And also at the same time, a very sad one. Yes. Poor Bob. <laughs> I'm looking forward to seeing what this will mean for Bob down the road. Though You know that they're going to come back to this. So, Oh, yeah. Like, is Bob going to reconcile with Gwen? Is Bob going to get a new lady? What's going to happen with Bob? I'm... I'm interested to see. 
But of course, since he doesn't have the money, then the question becomes, where else do they get the money? And we get this scene with Moira in bed trying to figure out which of their other friends they could potentially hit up. Um, and I don't know, I, I think it says a lot about how far they've come in their trust in the people of the town. Because obviously, if anyone's going to invest enough in the business for them to get this motel without a loan, um, they're they're going to have a pretty hefty stake in it. And so they, they have to pick somebody that they trust either not to interfere or at least enough to be on the same side as them. Um, and so it's not like they're trying to con people out of money or something. They, they're trying to pick someone that they think has enough money to support them, but also that they can work with long-term. I was thinking in this episode, like, why didn't they start with Ronnie? Like, Moira brings up Ronnie. It was, like, the most stable out of the entire town. <laughs> right. Probably has a good business going for her. Is Ronnie. That's where you start. But no, she's second. She's second to Bob in his leather outfit, but... <laughs> It's because she wasn't in the cafe at the time that they were talking about it. She wasn't in the cafe. If she had been there, um, they would have hit up Ronnie. But uh, I do love that they're like thinking within their circle of friends because they do trust these people. And they do think that some of them are successful. Um, it's not just this little podunk town anymore. They've seen where people have been. Um, they've thrived in what they do. And so I, I liked that. Yeah. And I love that ultimately it's going to be Roland and Jocelyn because of course it was going to be. Right. Um, but I love the idea of how far they've come again, looking back at season one and where they started and how embattled they were with one another in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Johnny's excited to be going into business with Roland. He was really happy in this episode. And, and I gotta say like, this is definitely the first time this season that I have outright cried at a plot. I I definitely cried in the first episode just because it was back. <laughs> but right. in terms of actually crying because of the story, this episode is the first one where I've done that this season. I really, that, that last scene just really got to me. As soon as Johnny came back in the room and said that they had, that Mrs. Turkstra had sold the motel, I literally started yelling Roland bought the motel Roland bought the motel I was so certain about it and it was such a great payoff to see them come to the door and have that actually be the case um I, I'm excited to see what the four of them and Stevie potentially do together yeah and in my mind it was Jocelyn's idea to buy the motel <laughs> yes she is so excited to get a name tag and I think that she just second mortgaged her house just because she's going to belong to this little ragtag group of people. That's my little headcanon for what's happened. It was her idea. And then Roland's obviously going to run with it. Um, but she's, she's the ideas man behind this. She really is. <laughs> right. But I love the, like the dichotomy between the um, reactions to them buying the motel between Johnny and Moira both in terms of just like before even they find out they buy the motel of how they feel about it. Like Johnny's just like, you know, something's going to come down the line. It might take a couple more years. And Moira is just ready to go still. She is still in that mindset of we need to get out of here. Um, and then when they come in and kind of save the day, what's that going to mean for her? They're going to help her get out of here sooner maybe but at what cost? <laughs> right. Yeah. She definitely, 
uh, thinks this is cause to drink. Right. <laughs> and I mean, in some ways, I guess I can't blame her. I don't know that I would necessarily want to go into business with Roland and Jocelyn either. Um, but but yeah, like she she definitely has a different reaction to the news than Johnny does. And Johnny is clearly elated that Roland and Jocelyn have done this. And he's got that huge smile and he hugs Roland, which is right. unprecedented. <laughs> um, and I love also the faith that it shows that Roland and Jocelyn have in them as business people too. Mm -hmm. All these scenes that we've gotten before where Roland likes to joke about, we know what happened to Rose video and that sort of thing. But at the end of the day, he really does trust Johnny to be able to run this business or they wouldn't put their money behind it. And so I think they're both really happy about it. Right. He does kind of think that Bill Gates thought it was a great idea <laughs> as well. He didn't quite get that joke. Um, or that cover up, but I think he does believe in him. And it's interesting too. I think when you think about the beginning of this episode, like Johnny does have good business sense. Like the bank is like really excited about his business plan. Right. It's just that he doesn't have collateral. And so it's interesting to think like Johnny's not losing out on making this a bigger idea because of like what he's thinking about doing with it. He knows and people are interested in what he wants to do with these motels. He just doesn't have the assets. And so I love that. Are we going to see down the line, like Johnny's ideas come to fruition with this help of this town? And then what does that mean when the town has helped build you up? Do you then like sell and leave the town? Um, and I think that continues to kind of put that like, growing battle between where Johnny's gonna lie and where Moira's gonna lie at the end of the season. We even get that line earlier in the episode when Moira's talking to Alexis about how a marriage is about, you know, astonishing each other and having as little in common as possible. And while I don't necessarily think that's entirely true, it's it, she seems to think that that's worked for them. Um, but as we've seen so far this season, they do seem to be kind of in two different places you know, how is that going to ultimately turn out? And she's saying that's the key to a healthy marriage, but I think that's going to be kind of put to the test here a little bit in potentially her and Johnny wanting very different things. Yeah. And she says this loan is the imminent connecting departure from this lengthy layover we have here. Which is, by the way, a great metaphor in an airline centered episode, just from a writing standpoint. Right. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Uh, but it, I don't necessarily think that's what Johnny's seeing this as. It's like he's seeing it as like the next step in kind of getting places. But does that mean we're out of here? I don't think so for him. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the rest of the season. It's building. It's building for something that I think we're really going to like really enjoy. So that brings us to the end of the episode, which means, of course, it is time to talk about our favorite lines from this one. B, what would you say is your favorite from this episode? I literally, in our little show notes, wrote like five different lines as I rewatched <laughs> it, and then I would erase it, and then I would put them back. Um, so I like have a top ten, uh, but I, <laughs> I had to decide to settle on. Uh, one, because I feel like it, it spoke to, it spoke to me. And that was <laughs> David when he was uh, doing like a test run of being a uh, flight attendant and like doing a little test of what you would do in the case of 
a baby crying behind a passenger, he said, I have shushed them thrice at this point. Now here are your options. I can either move those two to the back of the plane, or I could offer you some complimentary alcohol to make your flight a little more bearable. And you have to see him while he's doing that because he's doing the airline, like, two-fingered pointing. The Disney point, yeah. Yeah, and while he's doing it, and it, like, makes the whole scene. Also, that is what I would want to happen if there was a baby crying behind me. Uh, so this is the correct answer, in my opinion, to what a uh, flight attendant should be saying. Uh, Maybe not correct on their airline. Not on Larry Air. Because they don't offer seat changes, nor do they offer anything complimentary, including bathrooms. Or peanuts. Or peanuts, Carol. <laughs> it just was like that whole delivery of that with, with the fingers. It made it made it for me. Yeah. And I, I also had to go with some great David Line delivery in this one. My favorite is just a single word with the cold open when he says, Sick! <laughs> Just the way he says it is so perfect. <laughs> and you get that, you know, with the the scenes during the interview, you get the scenes at the end with the I don't care. I wish, like, other than, I mean, obviously a video captures that, but I wish there were, like, a way that, like, a photo or, like, a GIF could capture his line delivery in those moments, because it's just so good. <laughs> it is so good. And, like, I love that there's just a little bit of, like, disgust and delight in that sick because he's delighted that he's caught her in this and he's disgusted by what she's saying yeah he's absolutely entertained by it right but also disgusted it's great we also have to talk about the fashion in this episode as always and i feel like there was a little bit some subdued fashion uh in this episode and some like subtly over the top fashion but I know one thing we wanted to talk about was David's uh New York Times hoodie in the cold open um which I really want and since we've talked about I inexplicably keep getting New York Times ads about of course (laughs) um but I love these little hints that Dan Levy puts into episodes that have political commentary um so the New York Times hoodie is it's the truth is and it talks about the truth the different things that truth stands for according to the New York Times um how it's against fake news um and we kind of have seen that in the past where he's kind of slipped in seen like just subtle political commentary with things like the radical feminist t-shirt and nothing is said about them, but they're just there. And I, I kind of love those little nods to uh, some more overt happenings in the world. Kind of the world outside of Schitt's Creek. Yeah. Um, and Dave, David is hip to what's happening in the world or really Dan is, but um, I just love that that kind of plays out in the season. Um, you cannot buy this hoodie anymore. It's sold out. But the New York Times does have a similar hoodie. It's just not a designer hoodie that you can buy on their website. That's probably what most people want to buy anyway, right? (laughs) Right. And it goes to a good cause. If we're going to talk about fashion, obviously, we also have to talk about the fashion highlight of this episode, which is the leather bobsuit. (laughs) Every time you watch this episode, you see a new facet of that leather getup. I love when he comes to the table. And he mentions the fact that it laces up and you can see all of them just like staring at his pants, (laughs) trying to figure out what exactly is happening there. And the fact that 
he potentially can't get it untied in time. Can't get it undone. And it has lace-ups where you think lace-ups would be. It also has lace-ups up the sides of it. Yes. I, I like the idea of him wearing it like a basketball tracksuit and just trying to rip the fronts of them off. <laughs> I see a very, like, Ross on Friends trying to get his leather pants up <laughs> situation happening with Bob trying to get them down. <laughs> whoever decided to put Bob in leather, whether that was Dan or Deb Hansen or whoever, whoever decided that that was a facet of this episode just deserves all the kudos. It's right. just golden. <laughs> I didn't know I wanted a leather Bob jog until I got a leather Bob jog. Yes. And now I just need to watch that gif every day. <laughs> but I love that it also plays back into that he's just trying to win Gwen over by being a bad boy. And this is how he sees himself as being a bad boy in his leather. I mean, all bad boys wear full leather suits, right? Full leather suits. Speaking of bad boys, you know, there was a person missing from this episode. That is true. But he was there both in spirit and in his clothes. <laughs> and that is Patrick Bird and David wearing his clothes, which I have so many questions on. I mean, yes, logistically, there are a lot of questions about how this exactly works. <laughs> I have to, like, suspend disbelief because really, if you think about Dan Levy versus Noah Reed, that is at least not his pants. No, the shirt, maybe, maybe. The shirt, and then when he sits down, you're like, oh, it's a little tight, it's pulling a little bit. Okay, that's that could be the same shirt. But these are very two very different proportion boys. But I, I love David in Patrick's clothes for a lot of reasons. Obviously, it's adorable. Um, but my biggest thing is that, to this day, it kind of harkens back to season three, in that David still, and even Stevie still think that Patrick is the epitome of grown up. We're going out and we're going to be like responsible adults. How do I dress Patrick? He's Bill Gates. And the fact that David even dresses Stevie like Patrick to some extent. Like she's, she's wearing a slightly more subdued flannel, but he asks for the boots to go with the jeans. Like he, he dresses her like Patrick as well. Right. She's got her shirt tucked in with a brown belt like he has dressed her like Patrick as well and so that is what they think to be a successful adult Patrick Brewer is our role role model um and I love that that is still the case but it, it looks good like he pulls it off he does it's unfortunately a very good look for him <laughs> not necessarily a very David look but no. a very good look there was an article wrote about it and like the person was like, now the rule is obviously that Patrick needs to wear David's clothes this season. And I agree with that. Like that's, it has to happen. Just let him wear one sweater, you know? We also, I think, need to talk about Alexis in this episode. She wears a lot of great looks in this one. Um, but in particular, I really, really love this dress she wears at the end. It's a, a helmet lang dress um, with that like off the shoulder ruffle happening on the top. And it's such a cute date night look for her she's put in the effort that for her and Ted, like she continues to do throughout this whole episode. And I love that like ruffled look. I feel like she got her beach curls without actually making it to the beach. Yeah. And I really want to know how long that poor limo driver had to wait. She tells him she'll be ready in five. five but there's no way. Just the curls <laughs> definitely took a lot longer than five minutes. Right. So I want to know how long that poor limo driver had to sit there and wait for that. <laughs> 
Yes, he's he was sitting there for quite some time. Or like Ted was on Skype that long, just waiting for her. Probably hanging out talking to Twyla. <laughs> right. In his bathing suit and tie. But I love that she's just like really put in this effort. Like she wants to make this work. And I think that the outfit kind of shows that. Kind of is a, um, a plot device that shows that she really wants this to be something that they still invest in. Yeah, it's their anniversary. She's gonna she's gonna make it special still, even if they're apart. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode, and so now we of course need to look towards next week's episode, which is called Maid of Honor. In this episode, Moira shares the newly released Crows movie trailer with the Jazza Gals, and Johnny and Roland find a suspicious bag of money at the new motel. And presumably based on the title, we're gonna have David making some kind of choice here about his maid of honor. I'm assuming between Alexis and Stevie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that. I don't think Bob's going to be the new maid of honor. <laughs> Bob in a leather dress. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I think also we can see from the promo that she not only shares the promo with the Jazzy Gals, but also with Johnny, Alexis, and David. And so I'm excited to see. I hope they show the promo. <laughs> Yes, I really do want to see the Crows trailer. And I'm really excited to see the family there all to support her. It's really cute. Yeah, the promo was really cute where they were all just like holding hands and being like really excited for her um, and waiting. But come on, please show me her in that Crows outfit again. (laughs) Yes, I need it. I need the whole movie, honestly. I know. And I'm also excited to see the scenes with David and choosing his maid of honor not just because i want to see the choice that he makes but i think that there's a lot of potential for there to be some really sweet scenes with both alexis and stevie here regardless of who he chooses i'm excited because like like at the end of last season i would have been like oh it's stevie but like after the first episode and stuff like this i'm like who is going to be the maid of honor because i think it could go either way now Right. Well, and I think it depends on when the wedding is. We don't necessarily have an idea of that yet. So maybe it's a more practical decision if Alexis is going to be away for a lot of it or potentially away during the wedding. I don't think they're going to plan it for her to not be there after what happened in the first step, but you never know. So is it a more of a practical decision? Is it more of him choosing his sister because they've developed this close relationship? How's that going to play out? And, And what conversations are they going to have about it? Because not only is he going to presumably have to ask one of them, but he's going to have to let the other one down in a way. Right. And I guess I don't know how much either of them is hoping for that, but I feel like at least secretly both of them must be. And so there's some potential to have some discussions there with both of them about what they mean to him at this point. I'm excited to see more wedding planning between David and Patrick as well um, in this episode. But the thing that kind of intrigued me a little bit after last week's episode was um these like hints of like some shady dealings at the new motel and then Johnny and Roland are gonna find a suspicious bag of money like what has been happening at this new motel (laughs) right I presume that this is gonna have the shot from the trailer where they find a gun as well so there's definitely some things that have been going down there I'm excited to see because you know the rosebud it's a it's it's where they live, but it's never been too exciting of a place beyond the dead guy. Uh, so I'm excited for the new motel to just throw a little bit of excitement their way. <laughs> Not too much. Not too much, but a little bit. So yeah, that brings us to the end of the episode. Um, be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at shitfacepod. 
And if you want to follow, find us personally, you can find me at Brandy with an I in Indy. And you can find me on Twitter at Leslie the Baker. And be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more people find the podcast. Um, and we're really excited about all the people that have subscribed and liked us already, all the listeners, all the DMs. So thank you everyone for listening. And that's it for us for this week. We'll be back here again next week. Bye.